This message was recorded during a live service at Temple Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Thanks for joining us as we love God, share life, and serve Christ. I have been preaching through Romans 12. I started that last fall. Then when coronavirus, novel coronavirus hit and everything turned upside down, we, we stopped our worship time together and I went online and I, I talked about things that I felt like from God's word were meaningful to me. I mostly focused on things that Jesus said, like don't worry and things like that. And I, I shared those in the messages on YouTube and that we did as, a, as kind of a replacement for gathering together. Then we, we started meeting in June here on the lawn. And um, as, we, as we met together, it just seemed to me that I needed to come back to the Romans 12 preaching that I had been doing. So we, we had a space in between there. And now I've come back to Romans 12. And a few weeks ago, I did sort of an overview. And I have found myself... Um, magnetized to the last part of Romans 12 where God's word talks about love. And in talking about love, it seems to me that in those verses, we can see a description of what it looks like to love God. And we know from Jesus that loving God is the most important thing that we can ever do. Um, we also see in those verses in Romans 12 that the, the Bible tells us how important it is to love each other in the Christian family and what that looks like. And so I, I talked about that the, the Christian family love and I to, to kind of summarize it, I said we need to treat one another like friends and like family both. Um, I, uh, I mentioned that I, many years ago, a, a man I respected said we need to treat our friends more like family and our family more like friends. And I thought that captures pretty well the, the focus of the verses in Romans 12 focused on the church, loving each other. We need friend love and we need family love. And they're a little different. And they, they come to play in different places in the life of the church. Okay? But then we come to the verses that address loving your enemies. And, uh, and as, as I've thought about those verses, my first thinking was rather superficial. Um, well, to get us tracking, to open your bulletin to the worship page, and at the bottom are the verses from Romans 12 that really talk about loving your enemies. And, and those of you who've been here every Sunday, you've read these now, this is the third week, and you're probably saying to yourself, come on, pastor, or Come on, dude, <laughs> you know, get, get through this. God. Let's get on to something. Uh, but I, I just keep coming back to it. 
um, this week someone came to see me to ask me about the questions I asked last week and I didn't answer. And I was convicted by that and I thought, well, you better at least give folks at least some answers to the questions you asked last week. So that I'm coming back because someone came to see me this week. So I guess the moral of the story is don't call me or come and see me if you want me to leave Romans 12. But no, that's not that. That was trying to be funny. Sorry. I fail at being funny when I preach. So I'm sorry about that. Well, let, let's come back to the word. and You can read those verses in the bulletin. They've been there before. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. You remember when I talked about this, I said we read that and, all, and if we aren't careful, we think that means let everybody else tell you what you should do. And that isn't what Paul is saying. Paul is saying everybody else is watching you. So make sure when you live, you live the right way. Do what's right because everybody's watching. That's really what he's saying. And we don't decide what's right by what other people tell us. We decide what's right by what God has told us. Okay? So when we read that, don't read it as if everybody else should tell us what's right to do. That is not what Paul means. He means we're, everybody's watching us. Our enemies are watching. Let's make sure we live right life before them. Okay? He goes on, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Uh, we, we like to think that God is a God of love and compassion, and absolutely that's true. But God is also a God of justice and wrath. Righteous anger at sin. And as, as Christians in America, we... We have lost touch with how important God's righteous, God's right anger at sin really is. And so if we aren't careful, we think it's our job to make sure that sin gets somehow punished or controlled. And God is saying, that is my job, folks. You don't have to worry. I will take care of righteous judgment against sin. You, you say to yourself, oh, you know, the, the murderer gets away with it. That should not be. Uh, wait a minute. He, he, he or she is not getting away with murder. Period. God says, I will handle it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of glad for that. Because I'm not sure I'd handle it right. I mean, I, I get angry and I, I do stuff that later I regret. You like me? Sure you are. So I'm glad that God says, I will take care of this righteous anger against sin. So you don't worry about making revenge happen in your relationships with people. Okay? On the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Remember I talked about the burning coals on his head thing? And I said, if, if we aren't careful, we read that and we think to ourselves, ha ha, there's my chance. 
you know, I'll do good and it'll just, it'll just get under his skin and it'll, it'll repay that evil by I'm doing good and it'll get him. And that's not what he means. Probably it's the image similar to Isaiah 6 where Isaiah confesses before God in the throne room of the temple. God has made the temple his throne room and Isaiah sees him and Isaiah realizes how sinful he is and how sinful the people are. And he says, we're undone. We don't have any hope. And God tells an angel to take a burning coal from the altar and touch Isaiah's lips because Isaiah said, we're a people of unclean lips. And that burning coal is God's forgiveness as a result of Isaiah's repentance, his recognition, his confession. We are sinful. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. And God says, I will fix that. I will have the, this burning coal as a picture of your forgiveness before me. Heap burning coals. That he would come, your enemy, would see what good you do, and it would bring him to repentance and forgiveness before God. I think that's what he means. And I, I look at Isaiah 6 as a biblical picture of that. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's actually where Romans 12 ends. Okay. Um, I, I've got to be careful because I don't have baseball chapel to look at and I'm, I'll run out of time and I'll get going and talk too much. Last week, I, I introduced what I wanted to say by mentioning some questions that came to me as I thought about loving enemies. And I thought about, but that, that sounds nice in the churchyard where we're all nice to each other and, and I don't really have any enemies here and you know, nobody's whipping out their phone to post something on Facebook of how terrible I am or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm safe here. But there are some hard questions about loving enemies. And, and I asked some of them. I, I, I said, well, what, what about just plain, ordinary self-defense? Is, is God saying in these verses, you cannot defend yourself? maybe physical self-defense. Uh, one of our church family members is, is trained and, and has trained others in, in physical self-defense. These verses say, no, you shouldn't do that. You should, you should be vulnerable to the attack of a thief in the night. Well, well what about and the innocent and vulnerable. Does God not care about them? L loving enemies mean that when someone is vulnerable, innocent, they should just be thrown to the wolves? You know, what, what, about, um, what about being abused? 
I, I don't know that anyone here in our lawn is suffering at the hands of abuse, but it may very well be. Does loving your enemy, you have to let the abuser just totally hurt you forever? But what about stopping crime? Not just personal abuse, but social abuse. What about bullying in, in the schools? What about, what about the serial killer on the street or any killer? I remember last week as I was talking about this, I, I looked at Lou's face and I, I know Lou, know of his background as a military M police officer and then a, a police officer in, in, uh, in our, our North Dakota here, a licensed police officer. You know, does reading Romans 12 mean that Lou's job is disobedient to God and, and, and Lou should just, you know, hang up his badge and say, you know, I, I won't do that any longer. What, what about social righteousness? What about this problem we have now with racial stuff? Is Romans 12 just telling us, you know, if, if you're being, you know, the, go back to the 60s and the Jim Crow, how it was so abusive to people, especially black people in the southern part of the United States, you know, would God, did God intend that that be stopped? Well, you get the idea, right? Those are hard questions. And that's really what I said last week is there are no easy answers to those questions. And if we want easy answers, we're going to be disappointed. And I said last week that there are good believers, Christians who love God and read his word, and they answer those questions differently than others. And we need to be able to live with that. But I, I did not give you some answers. And so I want to give you some answers that come from my heart. And I don't give them as God's final answer, okay? I've, I've already said God's answers may be seen differently from different perspectives. And so you may not always agree with my answers. And I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. But I, I do believe there are answers. So let me back up and say, well, what about self-defense? And I, I, uh, I would say this is one of the most difficult for me to answer. Um, part of it's because I'm not a combative person. I remember in sixth grade, there was a guy that was, I thought he was picking on me. And I decided I was going to, push back so I did push back we got into a a, a, a a schoolyard fight not not hitting fight but pushing shoving match in the schoolyard got called into the principal's office I know you can't believe that I'd ever do that but that happened in sixth grade you always knew I was a troublemaker well yeah that's that side of me that I keep undercover <laughs> You know, I, I look at that and I'm, I'm not sure. A believer, I tried to follow Jesus even in those years. That I, would, I, tr I, I really wanted to follow Jesus, but it just seemed like that was the only answer to this guy picking on me. I was tired of it and I wanted to do something about it. 
I don't know if it's the right thing to do or not. I think now, as, as I look now through my eyes, I think to myself, you know, dude, that, that really wasn't as bad as you thought it was back then. I, I'm not sure what to do about self-defense. Uh, I, I don't begrudge anybody learning how to do it well. Here's the thing I want us to be careful about that we take the excuse of self-defense and use it for retribution and repayment and we use it for aggression. And that's what I don't think God would want us ever to do. Self-defense, maybe. But as an excuse for aggression, as an excuse to, to get my hits in, you remember I told my, my story about my grandfather last week where he he was taunted as a new believer by his neighbors. You can't fight me now because you have to turn the other cheek. And my grandfather said, well, the Bible doesn't say what to do after you turn the other cheek. You know, he was saying to him, you better watch out because I may give you one hit. But after that, I'm coming back at you. I don't know. I'm not sure that self-defense is a legitimate reason for aggression. But I do know that the Bible has told us to defend the innocent and the vulnerable. I absolutely know that. Proverbs says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the right of the poor and the needy. There are those who cannot defend themselves. And God calls us to their defense. And that is significant. That is significant. So let's let's not let's not be afraid to say that God challenges us to stand up for those who are unable to stand for themselves. I see Lou grabbing his Bible. That's Proverbs 31 verses 8 and 9. Think with me about the people of Israel taking the promised land. You got the idea in your head? You know how we used to think of that? You know, this army, and they go in and they're bullies, and they beat up on these poor people in these cities. Now we, we, uh, we feel like God has not handled that well. And we sort of are embarrassed by how the armies move in and take over the land and we, we almost want to apologize for that. But let's back up for just a minute. You know who those people of Israel were? They were people who were slaves for 400 years. You know how long that is? That is generation after generation after generation after generation. They were... They were absolutely vulnerable. They absolutely had no power. They had no sense of being worth anything as individuals. And God delivered them. He actually picked them up and set them in the promised land. And so when he tells them, when you move into these cities, you need to take over. 
He is defending the innocent and the vulnerable. Absolutely he is. He's defending them from, from the abuse of pagan worship. You know how they did it? Child sacrifice. All kinds of, of horrible stuff. We, we let people tell us that when God moved his people into the promised land, he was somehow a big, ugly God who used his power against innocent victims, and that is not the case. God gave his people who had no power and no strength on their own, their own little slice of land. And he did it defending his people who could not defend themselves. How about defending the vulnerable and the innocent? I think God would say, yep, now that's my kind of cause to pick up. How about the, the abused? How about if I'm abused? What is the problem with abuse? What's so bad about it? I mean, you know, if somebody can do it, why not? Well, the problem is every single person, including me, is made in God's image. We are all so precious that God knows the number of hairs on our head. He sees us as more precious than all of the animals he's created and his whole world. Every single one of us, he loves us. And if that's true of the innocent victim, it is true of me. And if I allow abuse of my heart, my life, my physical safety, I'm disregarding God's value of me or anyone else. I am saying, God, you must have made me junk because this is okay. I'm just going to let it happen. If you really loved me, you'd stop this. And he says, I do love you, and I will be with you, and you need to say no. I, 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 I doubt that any of you listening are facing If you are, you need to say no because God loves you and he cares deeply for you and he does not want you to suffer at the hands of anyone else. And if you can say no, you should say no. What about the abused? Everyone, all of God's people, all the people God has created deserve to be treated and respect. Absolutely, the divine right of every individual. There is no sin in holding that respect and given to us. No sin ever. What about stopping crime and abuse in, in society? And, and, and I talked about this last week. I, I mentioned that if you read on from Romans 12, immediately, 
you read that God has that that God has told us as his people to submit ourselves to the proper governing authorities because God intends them to punish evil and to respect and to lift up the right, to reward the right. That is the job that God has given to legitimate government authority. Um, some would say, well, okay. If you aren't careful, you'll forget that Paul wrote that to people who lived under the thumb of Roman government and the emperor said, I'm God, worship me. And he put his cronies in place and they took every opportunity to pad their pockets and fleece the people. It was not a righteous government, yet Paul would say, we as believers need to respect the God-ordered responsibility that governments have to protect the right and to punish wrong. That's where Lou and, and people like Lou step into the picture. That God would call some, praise the Lord, some believers. And he would say, I am going to put you in a place where you need to exercise this legitimate God-directed authority that you have over the society where you live. God's ordained it. He said that's what we should do. He said, my people, you submit to that. That's what God wants us to do. There is a role for the protection of others, for, for, for the, the safety of the people, there is a role that God intends legitimate governments to take. And those legitimate governments may not even be godly. That, that is tough. The person that came to see me this week was mad at our government and mad at people in authority. And, and I, I shared that with him and he didn't like it very well. But it's what the word says. Does God care about crime and the stopping of evil in and around our society and in cities and among people? Yes, he does. And he puts people in place to do that very responsibility. And that is different than the job he gives us as his people, the church, as we relate to enemies, the people around us. I ask the question, what about social righteousness? What about challenging those in power who don't use their power well? And uh, I get that. You know, sometimes our enemies are not hungry and they're not thirsty. They've got all the food and all the power. And, and we're the ones that feel like we're hungry and thirsty. They, they seem to have it all. and we seem... Whoops, there we go. 
And I, I get that. I, I get that. I was thinking about God's prophets in the Old Testament. Can, can you see how the Old Testament has a role in helping us see God's way as we ans ask these bigger questions? Sometimes we're, we're guilty of thinking everything we need is in the New Testament. We can just ignore the Old Testament. And that is not always true. Think about the prophets in the Old Testament. God called them to speak out strongly against those kinds of evil power. When people abused and misused their power, they stood up and said, you are wrong. You are, you're, you're fattening yourselves for a day of slaughter. But those people left judgment in God's hands you see I think that's what's happening that goes over the line when we decide it's our to take it into our own hands and we're going to make them pay and we're going to use our force and we're going to rise up and we're going to change I don't know. I don't see the prophets calling for a riot in Jerusalem. But I do hear them calling for people to honor God and follow his ways. And saying to people, if you stand before him one day, and you will face his judgment. Because he does care how you use your power. You must use it responsibly in a way that cares about the needs of others. Finally, I asked the question last week, what about the, you know, democracy and debate and, you know, we, we have political parties and we, we look at that, you know, does that mean, does, does Rome mean that I should embrace almost said a Democrat <laughs> I could have said a Republican I, I, I um, again I, I mentioned last week and I, I want to close with this because I, th I think it's so important I know I'd said it last week but I want to say it again if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful, our hearts will be turned away from what God wants our hearts to be. And the battle is really in our hearts. That's really where the battle is. It's not about exactly how to do what I want to do, how to debate or protest or, uh, you know, uh, rally the troops that agree with me or get these laws changed I, I get that I understand that but the battle in Romans 12 is about our hearts and I mentioned how Paul's heart shows us how our hearts need to be Paul was talking, in fact, a lot of Romans. Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all about the Jews and how God is going to work among the Jews. 
which is interesting because it's written to Romans and you wonder why, why is Paul going into all this about the Jews? And, and you want to remember that the Jews were Paul's greatest enemies. When Paul would go into a town and he would preach the gospel, he would start in the synagogue because they knew about God and he told them about Jesus being the Messiah and if they would trust Jesus, they would find life and forgiveness and the Jews there would either trust Jesus or they would hate his guts. And eventually they would kick him out of the synagogue and he would go somewhere else and keep preaching. And if it wasn't enough, they would kick him out of town. And if that wasn't enough, they'd go to the next town where he went and they'd kick him out of that town. And if they could, they would bring him up in front of the Roman officials and they would, they would charge him with with, with uh, preaching uh, religion that was contrary to Rome. And the Roman officials would scratch their heads and say, well, you know, it sounds to me like this is a Jewish deal. You guys handle it yourself. You, this is not my problem. And then they would. They would try everything they could to get rid of Paul. Paul took an offering to Jerusalem, helping believers, Christian believers who were Jewish, and you know what they did? They tried to kill him, to assassinate him. The officials found out about it. They rescued Paul, took him out of Jerusalem, and the Jews followed him, trying to kill him when he went into Caesarea. Now, how would you feel about people that every time you met them, they were out for blood and you were number one on their most wanted list of hatred. I don't know, I was thinking about it, you know, I'd probably avoid them. They can go to hell for all I care. I'll go to people that want to listen. Here's Paul's heart. <laughs> I have great, this is Romans 12, Romans 9. Just a few chapters in front of Romans 12. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brother, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Did you get that? If I could go to hell and they would be saved, I'd do it. That's what he says. Now, when I have that kind of heart for my political enemies and the people that I don't like and the people that they're just flat out wrong, and the people that would rather get me than let me loose. When I have that kind of heart. I think I'm where God wants me to be. And I don't know about you. But only God can give me that kind of heart. That's the only place. But that's what he wants from us, his people. That we would so live in this world 
that people would look at us and they would see what God can do and they would say, only God can do that. And I wonder, on my Facebook posts or my conversations with the people that agree with me about politics or my, you know, my friends across the, the backyard fence or down the hall, does my heart care that deeply for people that are so wrong and so, so far from God? If that's the case, maybe then I'll know how to handle those other issues. As I have uh, preached through Romans 12 and I have lighted on this piece of this love because I am convinced that we are at a very significant time in our culture and history and that this message of loving our enemies is one we really need to hear and we really need to practice. And, and although I might, you might like me to give you a list of do's and don'ts and things you can do and things you're okay to say on Facebook or okay to Twitter or, you know, okay, I don't have that list. But I do have this challenge. Will we bring our hearts before God so sincerely, humbly that we would let him say, I will do that work in your heart for those that you so much disagree with. If you let me, I will use you to love them. Oh, may that be true. We're going to sing one more song. As the, lady, as the musicians get ready for that, let, let me pray. Lord, we, uh, we look at your word and there's no way around it. <laughs> we can't do it apart from you. You started out Romans 12 telling us we need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and that that's pleasing to you. That's the kind of worship you really want. And Lord, when we do that kind of offering, then we're in the position, we're at the posture where you can start to work in us this kind of miraculous stuff. And Lord, sometimes it scares us to death. Give us the courage to love our enemies deeply from our hearts because that's the kind of God you are. And just maybe, just maybe, you can use us to help our enemies discover how great, how great is our God. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to be notified of future messages from Temple Baptist Church, be sure to hit the subscribe button. If you would like to further connect with us, please visit tbcfargo.org. Until next time, we encourage you to join us where you are in loving God, sharing life, and serving Christ.